welcome to the More to Story podcast. I am so glad that you all have come along. We have a great show in store for you. Somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and he is here. Well, kind of here. He's here electronically, digitally, and I'm looking forward to sharing about, with you about his new book. Before I do that, I want to make sure you know about Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through a host of programs. We've primarily done that through for almost 50 years through our master's programs, Master Divinity and various MAs. But just last year, we started an undergraduate program, kind of like a Bible college type of program. It's called At the, Co the College, and it's an undergraduate program in pastoral ministry. We also have doctorate of ministry programs and several lay initiatives, including the Wesley Institute, which is a program that takes people who are wanting to go deeper in their faith, but don't feel called necessarily to full-time ministry. And we go through every book of the Bible with them with seminary professors. And then we have a Wesley Institute too. So we have Wesley Institute one and two. Wesley Institute two walks people through basic theological concepts as well. So we would love for you to find out more about any of these programs at wbs.edu. Secondly, I'm thankful this show is sponsored by WPO Development. Their CEO, Keith Waters, has led this organization for a long time through, um, they have more than 250 organizations, churches, nonprofits, schools. They have led through strategic plans, capital campaigns, and the like. And they are a great organization, a Christian organization that loves to come alongside groups that are probably connected to this podcast. So we'd love for you to find out more about that. And finally, I want people to know about my new study that's come out called Contender. It's a six-week video curriculum on the book of Jude that walks through those 25 verses that a lot of times people just skip over because it's on their way to Revelation. Maybe you're there right now at the end of a Bible reading plan at the end of the year. But we'd love for you to check this out. You can find out more about that at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. It's a video-based curriculum, kind of like for a small group or a Sunday school class that has about a 20 to 30-minute session with me and then a sheet that comes along with it that you can have for questions and answers and a kind of an interactive conversation piece as well that's involved with that. All right. Well, I am glad to welcome to the podcast Dr. Trevin Wax, who is a vice president of research and resource development at the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Church and also has written a new book published by IVP. I'm holding it up here. here. A great title, The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Trevin, welcome to the podcast. Andy, thanks for having me on. Glad to be with you. Well, it's nice to see your face. I didn't know what you look like at all because I've, I've heard your voice many times on a few other podcasts, and particularly uh, when you, you would do a weekly segment every now and then on the world and everything in it. So nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So I'm, I'm interested. You have an interesting career kind of as somebody who's a scholar, but also somebody who works in a missions organization, functions in the academy. You also you teach at Cedarville University. And you've written this book. Can you tell me uh, what what led you to get to this place of writing about the thrill of orthodoxy? Well, you know, I, I mean, one of the one of the benefits of being in the the kind of role that I am with the North American Mission Board, and then over the years being able to be involved in in, in conversations with people from different denominations, different at different conferences. Um, you know, I've taught at Wheaton College. I've, I'm a visiting professor now at Cedarville. Um, I'm, I'm connected to people in other parts of the world. I, I think one of the benefits that I want to be able to bring to the church through that sort of high level, get above the trees in the current moment and kind of look around and see what's going on is I, I, I want to serve the church in a way of seeing what are some of those macro issues that I think people are wrestling with or facing. And I, and, and one of the things that I've noticed over the last few years is in the midst of as much cultural turmoil as there is, particularly in the West, but in the North American context in particular, yeah. uh, there is, there's been a, in my mind, it's a lack of, there, there's a lack of confidence in the goodness and beauty of Christian truth. Hmm. And that to me is, and, and, and I think part of it goes back to a lot of people just don't know what to think or do about a number of different things that sure. are going on. Like it's really you can, when, when the world seems to be shaking, you can really lose your footing quite easily, I think. Um, and, and you can confuse the importance of issues, or you can, you can start to, to wonder about all of Christianity because, you know, you've seen the, the rot in the church in this particular way, or in that particular way, or you've been disappointed by some leaders or disillusioned because you don't know what to believe and this or that. And like all of those trends are out there and they're, and they're really powerful, I think. And they can lead to a, a sense of, um, 
a, a, just a, a sense of bewilderment. Mm -hmm. And I think what the church needs in a moment like that is to get back to the basics really quickly mm. and to be able and to regain confidence in the truth of God's word in yes. the, the, the consensus of the Christian church for 2000 years related to the Trinitarian core of Christianity so that, so that we kind of like regain our, our gospel bearings, so to speak, you know, and we can stand there and say, like, I can have confidence in this. Like I may not have complete confidence that we're necessarily making all the right choices and every particular thing that gets thrown at us these days. But on this, I can stand here and know that I'm standing where people have been standing for thousands of years and have confidence that should the Lord tarry a hundred years, 200 years from now, this is exactly where Christians will be taking their stand there as well. So Amen. that's really the, the heart behind the book is to say, look, when everything seems to be up in the air, like go back to those foundational things, most importantly. So what are some of those ways that you feel that things are up in the air? Or what is it about like this particular moment in history that gives that, as you said, a lack of confidence or like kind of the world shaking? What are some of those issues that you feel uh, the orthodoxy, the thrill of or orthodoxy, it could be a tonic for? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of things we could point to. I mean, one of them, there's just a lot of confusion in the culture these days. I mean, we, we, we are living through a revolutionary time because of the, 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 the widespread use of the internet and the, the invention of the, of the smartphone. Um, sure. I mean, the, the closest, really the closest parallel we have to this is, um, is the printing press. Hmm. Uh, when we talk about hmm. information, being widely available and accessible. And we are having to learn in real time um, how to deal with the cultural shifts that come along with that. Uh, yeah. How to figure out what's true versus what's false, like to become more discerning immediately, uh, just like people in the 1500s had to as well. Yeah, so sure. like we, this is, this is so, so conf when it comes to the, the ability to get a message out um, and for there to be like, we, just to put it this way, like we have more resources available at our fingertips yeah. than the vast ancient libraries and the scholars that of ancient libraries had um, uh, in their entire lifetimes. We have in yeah. one minute, like you wow. literally can find more information. Now, the challenge is though, um, I think that comes along with that is that we don't actually have the instincts to be able to sort through that and to know what's actually valuable right. or true or false and whatnot. So I, so I think cultural confusion is one. I think the moral revolution of the sexual revolution is another, um, like it is, um, has upended a lot of, we've gone from Christianity's moral vision being seen as the, the norm to which people depart to becoming the sort of out, old fashioned outdated, you know, fuddy-duddy kind of approach to morality to now being extremist and harmful and repressive. Right. Like a generation, really. So right. like, that's a, that's just, I mean, that's a huge shift in a short amount of time. So, you know, is, is Christianity, like, is our vision of morality good? Is it beautiful? Is it worth preserving? Like, those are like just a couple of examples. I yes, think, those are great. Lead us back to, okay, what is core? Like, how do we, how do we like maintain our footing in this kind of environment? Right. That has changed so much. I, 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 I can't think of the guy's uh, first name. I think his last name is Ren. Uh, W-R-E-N. Yeah, the negative world, Aaron Wren. Yeah, 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 yeah. So exactly, I feel like like what you just described there, the changing of footing, this is what's happened. It's like we, in in my lifetime, the most that those two big shifts have happened. And it's hard to imagine, like, but I, I still can see it, but my kids can't. I mean, the, my kids have grown up in the negative world. So this is an interesting place that we're in. But yet I find it interesting that you're able to show, or your, your case is that, orthodoxy is the answer to this problem. And you talk about, I, I definitely can pick up on your love for GK Chesterton in this book. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think, think so many times, like <laughs> we keep going back to him and just by like, um, I, I occasionally will read him devotionally, which doesn't always work by the way, if you, no, if you not do, all the time, <laughs> but every now and then like, what am I reading? But nevertheless, uh, your, your uh, connection to paradox kind of shows that and not only not just that you quote him but you call them the marvelous paradoxes is this something that can help us in this time to move past negative the negative world well I, you know i think the going back to the marvelous paradoxes at the heart of christianity it is is a way of us making sure that we have all of christianity in view uh, because mm -hmm. the, the the reality is and th 
you know, Chesterton is probably the, the one of the guys who most memorably talked about orthodoxy and heresy in this way of showing how heresy is actually more narrow than orthodoxy. Right. I like your emphasis there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Chesterton's one of the ones who most memorably did that, but it's not really original to him. He just had a way of like showing that in, in a, in a really memorable way. Um, like that, that's just been the story of the Christian church, you know, for 2000 mm -hmm. years. Like we, we have a, we have a, a, a God's word given to us and in theologizing and in trying to, to make sense of who this Jesus is, who's come to save us, you know, who, who God sent, um, who is a hundred percent divine and a hundred percent human. Like the, the, the church has had to figure out ways to answer Jesus's question. Who do you say that I am? And the heresies are always narrowing. It's almost mm. like the, and one of the ways I put it in the book is the vision of Christianity is so bright that it's almost just too much to take in and heretics mm. always squint. Mm. They, 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 they can't, they, they don't, they, they have to, they have to dim the light of Christianity because they can't take in the brightness of the full effect of the, of, of, of it all. So, you know, when it comes to, um, to, to, you know, you, you talk about our current cultural context. I mean, one of the challenges that we always face is this narrowing aspect of Christianity to fall off the side of this side or that side, when it comes to a particular emphasis or when it comes to right, a particular right. doctrine. Yeah. I want to jump back in on the, the narrow, narrowness idea, the narrowness of, of, of heresy. You highlight a few of these. I would love if you pick up one that's maybe it comes to mind particularly. Um, and, and oftentimes, I mean, that's, that's not how it's presented in our time. We think about a, a contemporary example with the sexual revolution. Like it's like thought to be the more open way of looking at the world, but you're showing this as a narrowing. I'd love to get an example, maybe even some of the historical examples you use. Well, I mean, if we want to go back to the classic examples, you know, docetism, for example, can't take the fact that Jesus is fully human. So the docetists right. were like, it's just, it's just not, I mean, the, 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 the fact that God would become human in everything that human and humanity means it's, it's almost, it's really the Muslim objection to, to the, seeing Jesus as the son of God, right? Because it's a, it's the, it's the idea that, well, you know, that's just impossible. God wouldn't sully himself with humanity in this way. And so, so the docetists wanting to protect the divinity of Jesus basically say, well, Jesus only seemed to be human, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So that's a narrowing, but it's saying you, you really can't have both. And of course the opposite and the quintessential heresy is the Arian heresy, right, which sure. is that it, it's the other, it's the flip side, you know, in trying to protect the, the, the divinity and the, the, the glory and majesty of God, the father, that Jesus you know, he may be divine in some sense, or he's like sort, certainly the greatest creature, but he's yeah, on yeah. our side of the creator creature distinction where that line mm -hmm. is. And so the Arians can't take uh, a, a triune God. Uh, and, and, and so there's a, a narrowing there, but I think more to our times, like you mentioned the, the morality question. Yeah, sure. Um, I, there's a, if you look in the gospels, you see a, a, a very strong sense of Jesus's inclusivity as well as his exclusivity. Mm -hmm. it's, both. Um, yeah, his, it's a big picture. Yes, yeah. his inclusivity in that he welcomes all the wrong people to the table. He is constantly excoriated by the religious leaders because he is you know, fellowshipping with all the wrong kinds of people. He's, he's throwing open the doors of the kingdom. He's saying things like the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before the fairs, before the religious people. So, I mean, like, like Jesus is saying like, deliberately offensive, very inclusive things. Uh, his arms are outstretched wide toward any who come to him in repentance. So, so you have, you have that inclusive vision that at the heart of Christianity, and then you have the rest of the new Testament is all about getting that message out to the end of the world, right? Jew and Gentile, the dividing line coming down. So, so you take that inclusive vision, but then you also have this radical exclusivity. Sure. You know, there is no name under heaven by which people will be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. You know, like that, that there's in the early church had that exclusive aspect of Jesus is the only savior trust in him uh, in our day a lot of people I think want to, they they think that a more open and inclusive vision of Christianity is to really promote the inclusiveness of Jesus beyond what the Bible teaches letting go of the exclusivity of the faith right sure and in the in the name of of inclusivity like really taking that one aspect which is a true aspect of the Christian faith but by divorcing it and by separating it from the other truth, they wind up, in my mind, actually narrowing 
Yeah, because then Jesus becomes my Jesus, your Jesus. He may be yeah, good for sure. me, but if you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. You know, like basically, Jesus no longer is for everybody. Mm -hmm. So hey, that, that's a, connecting that paradox idea again too. So like we, right. he's inclusive and exclusive, like that we have this this faith that is hard to pin down in these ways. Do you think about the idea of um, you talk about Arian Arianism, but what was it that they they said as they marched around supposedly, you know, with with placards? You know, there was a time when the son of God was not. That was yes. kind of like the. They even had songs. <laughs> they had songs. So you have this too. stuff. But what are they saying? Like, it is a narrowing message. Yes. There, there was a time when the son was not. It's not as big as you think it is. Yes, right? that's exactly right. It's a it's a watering down. And the same is true. Uh, but the, the thing is, heresies always are marketed as bigger. And it's more exciting and more innovative. And so like, mm. like when, when someone comes to me, like today with the inclusive only question, you know, the, the inclusive vision of Christianity divorced from the rest, oh, like wait, the, sure, the, sure. Okay. it's marketed as if that's a bigger, more expansive understanding of Christianity. But the entire logic of the great commission is we go out into the entire world with the inclusive message of Jesus, because he is the only exclusive savior. <laughs> so like yes, amen. The, the great commission holds both of those things together and the 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 sort of inclusive only side lobs off one aspect of that and then you lose the entire nerve like why would you go evangelize distant tribes wherever if it doesn't really matter you know what i'm saying like right, it's just sure sure like at the end of the day you lose the worldwide call in the name of inclusivity and i'm just sure. like the way i look at this is i'm just like okay it's it's heresies irenaeus said this um Error always dresses itself up in the truth. Mm, it yeah. masks itself in the truth. But behind it is a skeleton. Behind it is is death. And that's what that's what that's what heresies throughout history have always shown themselves to be. Well, and they've and they've often used, if you think about other classic heresies like Marcion and uh, of course Arius, like we've already mentioned, Docetic heresies. Um, we end up being in a position where they use you hear them using scripture, right? Like it's not oh, like they're they're and it's not even I would even say to give them not to give them credit, but they're they're trying, right? Like they oh, yeah. they want to get somewhere. And they're and they're also not out to hurt the church. Mm. Most of the times heretics think they're saving the church. Like Marcion in 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 dismissing yeah, the old sure, testament in yeah. a bunch of paul's letters and the gospels and whatnot like marcion thought he was salvaging what was salvageable of christianity's message for the world that he wanted to reach right and right. so that's the thing that you have to remember about heretics like it's not that we're we're not talking about like you know like mean people who are out to destroy the church that's not that's generally not how this starts it, it starts with a often a sincere desire to protect the church or to, you know, to, to move the church forward in some way, but at a way that where the cost is at the, 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 the power of the gospel message itself in some way. Mm -hmm. And in that narrowing way that the rest of the church then has to come along and say, no, this is a, this is a, a forfeiting of the treasure we've been called to pass down. Right. Oh, oh, we're about to jump into one of these places where the, the thrill of paradox, the thrill of um, trying to enter into a position where we're challenging what seems to be heretical. Uh, at WBS, where I am, Wesley Biblical Seminary, in February, we're hosting a conference that's called God's Gift of Human Sexuality, Mere Opinion or, human, or, or a Christian Dogma. Mere human yeah. opinion or Christian dogma. And I think this is kind of where the question is, if we were dealing with narrowing heresies that are tempting, coming from a position of wanting to help the church, save, save the church, save our reputation, um, it's kind of taking on that question, can we say that faithful Christians just disagree about the sexual revolution. And I'm saying sexual revolution, I think you get where I'm going, Like, yeah. but for my audience, like in a broad way to cover um, uh, the LGBTQ concerns and the, what rises right. with that, but also, you know, things related to abortion, life, and all the things that stem from the sexual revolution. I'm curious, do you think that, that, that is that too, am I being too, uh, making it either or here too much, or is this one of these paradoxes? I mean, 
what do you think of that idea of this? Yeah, this conference? no, no. I think I think that's a great question. I think a lot of people are are, are wrestling with that question today. Um, I don't I don't see evangelicals wrestling so much with the question of should we change our view on marriage. I think that evangelicals are are wrestling with the question of is our view of marriage an issue on which we can agree to disagree? Right, right. Similar to speaking in tongues or you know baptism right. or um you know, uh, or women in, in ordained ministry and things like that. So sure, sure. Um, those, and those are, you know, all of those are important questions. They're all secondary questions. Uh, and and then, and then you've got to make a case for why. So, so the, so what I think some of the argument that I, I've heard in recent years is to say, well, marriage is not a creedal issue. It's not in the creed. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And why are you, you know, when you guys say we can't agree to disagree on this, you are raising to the level of creedal orthodoxy. Yes. Dogma. You know, that's right. And dogma is usually a bad word in our culture. But Absolutely. I, I, well, I try why would to anybody want to be dogmatic? I, I have too much C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton in my mind to not want to rescue that word. And Dorothy Sayers too. Amen. Dorothy credit. So, um, no, I, I, what I would say, a couple of things I would, uh, in, in thinking through that particular question. Uh, first, I would say, um, we are not raising marriage and sexuality to the level of orthodoxy. We are recognizing that anthropology is at mm. the level of orthodoxy. Right. This is a deeper question. Yeah. It's a deeper question. The question is what does it mean to be human? Yes. What does it mean to be embodied? What does it mean to be given male and female bodies that have particular orientations? Yeah. And I'm not talking about sexual orientations. Nope. I'm talking yeah. about the human body being designed in particular Physically. ways in order to bring about uh, the uh, new life and to fulfill the very first command God gave humans. So yeah, the, this, the, 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 the Bible opens with marriage and it mm -hmm. closes with a marriage mm -hmm. when you have mm -hmm. the new heavens and the new earth, uh, married, and we have the, the, the spousal imagery with, with Jesus and the church. So, uh, to say that marriage is non-credal, well, I mean, there is a, there is a, there's a technical sense in which sure. that is true in which Pelagius could have said to Augustine, <laughs> Hey, there's nothing in the creeds about are we born innocent or you know are we born with yeah, a sin sure. major the know? Trinity or anything right, else yeah right and Augustine didn't say oh you're right Pelagius I guess that's not in the creeds we can just agree to disagree no the, right. the church recognized that the creeds are not um, they're not minimalist statements of orthodoxy there are implications in those creedal affirmations when we say I believe in God the Father Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. We are assuming God as a creator. We're assuming God as a good creator. We're assuming we're already, you're already cutting the root of Gnosticism. You're already right. implying male and female embodiedness. So, right. so I just would, I, I, the, the, the other thing that I, I think we've got to watch is, okay, let's say it is an agree to disagree issue on um, th this particular issue of sexuality. Uh, let's say that's an error that doesn't rise to the level of orthodoxy. Um, in every case I've ever seen, that particular error appears to be a load-bearing wall. Yes, I like because the rest of the house collapse. It right. collapses, and like I, in every case, it's like it's it's really it's the same thing. I you know I would actually compare it in some sense to universalism, which I do in the book. Um, universalism has always been a sort of it's kind of it appears here and there on the fringes of the Christian tradition, but if you watch the trajectory of anyone who takes the universal the universalist step which that's the view mm -hmm. that in the end you know all will be saved there is no you know right final eternal judgment or whatnot um everyone who takes that step down the road you watch where that trajectory leads and that's why you have the com combination for example of the unitarian universalists or you have the you know you have the denial of the atonement and the same thing so there's this th sometimes there are these these things that you think you know, that's, I guess that's something we could come to a difference of opinion on. And then you watch, but you watch the re, the, re, what happens and you right. recognize, no, that's load bearing because yes. all these other doctrines are suddenly gone out the window when it comes right. to, to that. What you think about revelation, uh, in, in like the doctor divine revelation, uh, creation. I mean, you, you've already hinted at too, like the anthropological center two of human experience and like, what does it mean to be male and female? And I think that's part of what, um, the, even going back to the creeds themselves that born of the Virgin Mary, like there's something too about the nature of 
of the seed of Adam um, and, and coming to a woman and the nature of male and female being a part of the you know, center of divine, the divine rescue plan. <laughs> so yes. I think that's all there. Uh, okay. I like, I love, I love the way you use, I don't know if it's original to you or not, uh, to load bearing walls. And you, you just brought it up there. Yeah. Well, I, I actually get that from a friend of mine. Matthew Lee Anderson calls it, calls marriage an architectural doctrine of the Christian. Okay. Interesting. And then has used the load bearing wall analogy. That's, and, and, and I've just found that really to be helpful because, because I think, I think we have to recognize there are particular, there are lots of doctrines that Christians disagree on that are really important doctrines. Mm. Like I don't, I wouldn't want to minimize some of the do doctrinal or to paper over the substantial disagreements that are between different, different wings of the Christian church. Um, the, the question about marriage and sexuality is an important one though. And I think historically there's a strong case to be made. If you're taking a position that would appall virtually every Christian who's ever come before you. Yeah. I'll just say the burden of proof is on you that that's not a departure from the tradition and from the faith, right? Like the burden of proof yeah. is on the person that's making that case. I had a wise person tell me uh, who's like a mentor to me uh, said like their response and sometimes being in kind of an administrative role that I'm, I'm in at Western biblical seminary, we have to like have some clear lines occasionally, particularly when we think of hiring faculty members and these type of things. But he just said, uh, just you can respond saying the church has never affirmed this. No, and has, has never, never has never this. even questioned it. Yeah, it's never questioned. I should say yeah. that. Yeah. So, and that's like, not to say the church has always gotten everything right when it right, comes to no, no. Like, there's been some ascetic extremes here and there. There's been, you know, exalted views of virginity at certain times, and there's been, you know, devaluation of marriage and then overestimation of marriage. Like the church has not gotten the balance always right. And I would not want to say that. I mean, some of the church fathers that we're talking about said some things about women as the the weaker sex that will, you know, you'll be like, well, I'm glad that's not in the creeds because that's not that's not biblical. Um, so I, I don't want to give the impression that the church has always gotten this, has gotten Every everything point in sexuality right. right. Yeah. Yes, but if the church has been wrong on marriage, right? what marriage can you wrong. trust the church on? Like mm. if the church has been that wrong for 2000 years on a question of such central importance, then like what, why, I like, how can you question, how can you trust the church on anything? There are some who say, well, it's like slavery, you know, or it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, but there's, there was always a counter- there was always a witness against slavery through the church in particular times. And in, before the, the, the transatlantic slave trade got going, um, there was a time when slavery was virtually eliminated mm. from, from, from Europe, from Christian Europe at, at, at one point in the, um, in our history. So like the, 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 the question of slavery is there's always, there was, there was debate at least uh, among a lot of um, theologians and, and some, not as much as we would like. Uh, there, sure. there still were assumptions that some of them were not, you know, in line with biblical, but over uh, with the Bible. But over time, you saw this, you, you saw this, this, this understanding that this is where the Bible, this is what the Bible teaches. This is where the Bible leads. Um, where with sexuality, there's no movement, marriage, right, right. none at all, none at all on that question. Uh, I often describe that it's not uh, often we talk about in our uh, hermeneutical courses here, we move through the inductive Bible study method. And at one point in the inductive Bible study method, there's a place where you look at the canonical dialogue. Um, and so you see like, okay, how might voices from different parts of scripture um, engage each other, how scripture interprets scripture. But it, with reference to human sexuality, there is not a dialogue, there's a monologue. There's, yes. there's one, there's one presentation, um, all throughout the, uh, throughout the narrative scripture. Now, one interesting thing that happens uh, for us, you mentioned the, the totality of the church's witness here and, and with, with kind of a caveat of what you said, like there's cer certainly some extremes and it's not sexuality in general, but marriage as a whole, um, we've, for this conference, it's, I'm sorry, it's kind of fresh on my mind, but I think you'd find it interesting. I think the people listening to this will find it interesting. I had no problem getting, uh, Eastern Orthodox person to come, a scholar to come and represent it, saying it, saying that this is dogma and same thing with the Roman Catholic side as well. Um, actually I had a few evangelical scholars who were not willing to come because they're not willing to answer the question that way. And I appreciate their, their willingness to say it, but I, we all forget, this is a, uh, uh, 
big picture, a, a big tent, so to speak, of what the perspective of the Christian community has been. Yeah, well, and even, I mean, has been and even now. So, I mean, if you want to talk about what the ecumenical position is, this is the position of the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and virtually all Protestants in the world, except for a shrinking subset of predominantly white older denominations in the United States. Like, if you really want to look at, like, oh, that's great. If you really want to, if you really want to look at the 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 numbers, where like, it, they, there's no question. And now, but now there's a lot of complication about all of that because there are denominations that historically have been, you know, worldwide that have had different. You know, I mean, the United Methodists obviously are going through the challenge now with the whole the Global Methodist Church, and then you've got the, you know, the Anglican Communion is really you know, has really been pushed into an area that's, it's approaching schism on this question. Um, right. uh, because in, in part, because the Anglican communion is worldwide. Like if it were just the church of England and the Episcopal church, United States and the Episcopal church of Canada or whatnot, then I think you would have a different, there, there'd be different decisions already made, but you actually have this, you have this global force that is, is, is there. And so yeah, I, I I think it's it's fascinating to watch how this plays out. I think a hundred years from now, um, it when people are writing history of this time, it will be really interesting to see what is is being written. And my confidence level is that no matter what happens culturally, um, the and and whatever happens culturally with our view of marriage and maleness and femaleness and sexuality and whatnot, um, the 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 history the historians of the church a hundred years from now. I believe we'll be writing about this particular issue from the perspective of orthodoxy having triumphed. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's interesting. I heard the story of John F. Kennedy while he was president. He was wanted a particular tree planted somewhere at the White House. Now, I I've, I don't know this. I've heard it's a story, kind of like almost an <laughs> illustration I heard, but I like it. And it, the the truth of the story worked. So he says. Um, uh, he finally gets the tree in and the gardener from the White House comes and says, Mr. President, we have the tree. The problem is um, it's going to take 40 years before it produces any fruit, you know, before before you what you want can happen. And he says, well, go plant it now. <laughs> go plant it now. No wait. Like, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get going. Even though I'm not going to experience it, I feel like that's probably where we are now. I'm not trying to just make us into those who are are kind of in for the thrill of orthodoxy at this moment and kind of taking the challenges, the, the lumps as they come from society, from culture, from government now. And we're recording this as this week is when the, the Senate has approved, like taking down the um, DOMA. Um, so as a result of that, like we're in, we're in this position though, where I think the things that we're doing will be something as you're saying a hundred years from now, they'll be able to look back and say, yeah, they, they stuck with it. And hopefully I, I hope so. Fruit. I, I hope so. I mean, one of one of the challenges that we that we face is um, the cultural pressures are going to be really strong, to to the to the extent that it's possible for a church to continue to be orthodox in its dogma or its affirmations, its statement of faith, and yet people in the church to just be like, yeah, the church is old fashioned. I don't really agree with my church on this kind of thing, like, right. it, which is where a lot of Catholics are, and a yeah, lot of sure, cultural sure. Protestants are. You know, where it's just sort of like. You know, I I I think I, I disagree with my church on this. You know, um, mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a possibility, and one of the things we have to watch out for is that there would be a hollowing out of a biblical view of marriage from uh, on the inside of the church, even if the outside structure of the of marriage remains the same. And I honestly think you can make a case that that has already happened when yeah, it comes to so. marriage and divorce. Yep. And to, and, to, and to sex outside of marriage, which then yep. makes to our LGBT friends, it makes right. it look it very hypocritical Absolutely. and very arbitrary yeah. when the church is already our witness on marriage and sexuality has been so hollowed out from the inside. It's like right. we, there's been all these concessions here and there. And then you come to this particular concession. It's like, no, right. that we won't go there. I, I mean, I get it. I, 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 no. I, I feel the force of that. Of course, to me, the answer then is to, well, let's not be hypocritical. Like, right. yep. like, it's, right. it's not, let's make another concession. Let's go back on these concessions we have made and yeah. rebuild a culture of marriage from the ground up for the, the, you know, plant those seeds that you're talking about that hopefully will bear fruit in, in future generations. To be equal opportunity critiquers of all sexual sin. Like, like yes. we're going to, we're going to do, and, you know, you, what you're saying is exactly true. Now, um, at Wesley Biblical Seminary, we're very connected to the 
emergence of the global Methodist church. We'll, yeah. we're, you know, that we're one of the seminaries that are being named as we'll be a part, like we'll be servicing the, you know, future pastors of that denomination. And as we're working through this, like I'm, many of my friends and colleagues are leading their churches through the disaffiliation process with uh, a, a disaffiliation process with the United Methodist Church. But unfortunately, what's being discovered is like while pastors and delegates to what's called the uh, general conference, their decision-making body, as they have like, they've been clear and they've been holding holding their ground and working with the global church on all this, that the what you just described, the actual body of believers has not thought through this. Right, and that's that's the bigger challenge at this moment because then we then we find oh are we just in this for a form because I've always been a part of this church and and like you said oh I just don't agree with my church on this when when all of a sudden now we're they're splitting about this so it, that's very real and I think that's uh, coming to a denomination near you yeah <laughs> not, no not I think that happen. I I think that's the case, not even, not just in your situation. I mean, in, in your situation, the fault lines are clear because the decisions are having to be made. Like which side right. is everyone on? Um, and, and I, and I don't think, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, a lot of times there's this comment out there, you know, that Christians are just obsessed with sex or something. And I'm right, like, right. everywhere I look in any TV show, I watch in any movie I watch, like <laughs> I, the world is obsessed with sex. Christians are right. just, are basically when we're having to, we're, you're, you're, it's kind of like this. I think at some level, everybody's going to have to like raise their hand and be like, am I on this side or that side of the divide? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing here. Here's the, the thing about your panel that you're going to have that I will find most fascinating. Um, it used to be five to 10 years ago. The, the question was, can we agree to disagree? And those on the progressive side were saying, we can agree to disagree. We can be on mission together, even if we're not on the same page. Right, Today, right. I hear just as many on the quote unquote progressive side, revisionist side, as I do on the traditional side or the orthodox side saying, this is a gospel issue. You've Absolutely. got to jump on board. You've got, you, we cannot continue to partner with you if you don't, you know, make this move. So I, I think both sides have arrived at a point hmm. where in our arriving at a point where they realize we, this is a gospel issue but for different reasons. And I think at the end of the day, what will become clear is there is a different gospel. Yes, that's right. That's working there. That's right. And that's where that load bearing wall comes into analogy. Like we're not even in the same house. Right. Um, right. And that's the, that's the, that's the challenge. I think that it's as, as time goes on and it, it, it just becomes more and more painfully clear that that's the situation. And, and I think that that's a place in, in part of what has brought this conference around for us is that we got to this place because so many are just using this the one line, uh, faithful Christians disagree on this subject. And it's hard to say, no, 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 um, I'm changing my metaphor here. We're, we live in different houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, at, the end of, at the end of the day, the, again, like it's only because of the cultural fog of our moment that we can say faithful Christians disagree on this. Mm -hmm. Any other Christian from any other era of history would say, no, <laughs> like, like, they would yeah, be like, yeah, no, like, they'd be like, they'd be like puddle glum stomping out the fire, you know, the, with the green mist and, and, in this, in Lewis's the silver chair. Sorry for the, no, oh, go for it. Yeah, for tell everybody, get, 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 yeah. tell it, keep, keep going. Like what happens there? Yeah. So, I mean, there's this moment where, you know, basically there's an enchantress who is making the, in the silver chair, who has this green mist and they're underground and basically making the the children who are in Narnia um, doubt the fact that there is any existence above ground. You know, right, it's, it's Lewis's right. way of, uh, in his day, it was really a denial of the supernatural, right? The, of anything other than the natural world. Um, and and making it clear that Aslan is a myth and the entire world above is a myth and it's all just something there that's your own dreams and longings and whatnot. And it's so easy and she's enchanted, enchanting in the way she's with music and with the, you know, and I'm, I I haven't read it in a while, so I may be getting some uh -huh. 
wrong, but, but the Marsh Wiggle, the one guy, yeah. he's like the downer of a guy the entire way through the story. You know, he's like the one who's always seeing the negative side of everything. And he's kind of a funny comical character. He, you know, uh, um, he, he's actually based off of um, C.S. Lewis's gardener. Paxford. Oh, interesting. Uh, but but uh, um you know always if it's if it's a sunny day he's going to make a comment how like well but you know uh you're going to get burned you know or if it's a you know, like there's just always this this way yeah, yeah. um Dude. and he's the one who recognizes this is a farce and goes right. and stomps on the on the fire and really kind of saves the day and wakes the children up and then they realize this is and then the enchantress takes the form of the serpent. And so I just, I think we are in a time when the green mist is everywhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we've got, we, we really, we need our, we need the worldwide church on the one hand and the church throughout history to come and stomp on the fire for us. Amen. Amen. That's a beautiful moment. Like in that book where it's like really ontological argument for God's existence, like being able to think of a greater being that's out there. And all of a sudden he pulls it in. I've always thought like that should be a movie, but I think the problem is I would never be satisfied because uh, your, your puglum and my puglum, uh, these, they're very different. They can never find anybody to be a, be, be him. So (laughs) that's why the movies are never as good as the books, right? That one, that was just too far stretch. You can never, you can never get somebody to play that character in my view. Yeah. That's such an interesting, interesting book. And also I'm, I, I, I love that you're kind of like putting it out there, theology, and moving towards orthodoxy as this adventure. Where have you seen like some examples of this working and like how we can paint this uh, more beautiful, adventurous picture of what orthodoxy is? Well, I just, to me, I think it's a, it's a, it's a matter of recognizing that at the heart of Christianity is a missionary encounter with the world. Mm-hmm. That in itself is an adventure. You're, there's an encounter. That means you're you're out from the huddle of your of your own four walls of your congregation and in engagement with the world around you, and it's missionary in the sense that there's an edge to it. C.S. Lewis said, "We don't just God didn't tell Jesus didn't tell us to go out into the world and tell everyone they're okay." Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, like no, we we've got a message, and it 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 is against as Augustine would say, it's against the world for the good of the world. Wow. And so the adventure there is at times we're going to have to stand against certain things, but it's for the good, even of the people who have been fooled by certain things. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think about a lot of the, the questions late, I, like naturalism is a great example. Like we're going to have to stand against naturalistic authors, atheists, in order to affirm the dignity of their own humanity that they do not have from God themselves, that they think God that that because they don't believe in God, they don't know where that comes from. Like wow. we'll have to stand against for the good. And that's where the, the adventure is. Um, I'm afraid uh, we want, a lot of times we get bored with Christianity because we had, we remove, we remove that encounter. Either we isolate ourselves and we never have the encounter with the world. So we never, we're never really for the world because we're just sort of for ourselves. Uh, that's boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we, we go out into the world and we just dialogue forever and never come up to the sharp edge of contradiction and distinction, you know, the yeah. antithesis that Abraham Kuyper would talk about. Like that's boring too, because that's basically just like in conversation with the world. And, you know, it might as well, we might as well be like a, you know, making Christianity to be out some sort of just a personal privatized religion thing about being all nice to people. Yeah. I mean, sure. goodness, you can join the Peace Corps. If that's what you want. Like I, I right. like at the end of the day, the, the 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 adventure of Christianity comes from the very fact that the message we have that we've been entrusted with is about an event. Mm-hmm. It's about events that have changed world history, that yes. are at the center of like Jesus Christ is really risen from the dead. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, like if that doesn't change everything, I don't know what does. A week and a half ago, I was at the uh Evangelical Theological Society and yeah. Society of Biblical Literature and Associate uh, American Academy of Religion. Like that, so I, I kind of went to both both conferences. It happened at the same time, same city. So um, I was sitting at a restaurant and having a good conversation with somebody who's in a similar field to me, historical theology. And I was, it's like similar time period too. So we we're really just going back and forth, and um, it was great. And then I was surprised. I told him about some of my projects and. W- work on William Booth and the Salvation Army. It's the in my tradition comes from in that tradition. And and then after a few minutes, he looked at me and said, um, so um what religion are you? 
So what religion am I? Like I'm, and this, I'm, this is my first time I'm new to, new to these type of conferences. And I, I was, the difference between Evangelical Theological Society and SBLAR is huge. And so I didn't realize what I was getting into. All of a sudden I realized, oh, I, I actually believe this is true. Like I'm, right. I'm into the things I'm studying. Like I, right. I, I think that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God, well, God created the world of nothing, that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he really is coming back and there'll be a, a renewed creation. Boy, he was so surprised. I'm like, to, and then just being able to say that in that, that quick of a time, I was reminded, wow, this is an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> that I, yeah, no, really isn't. I mean, you're not just some sort of dispassionate observer. Right. Of, of the, and it's, but to think about how strange the story is, I, we, I sometimes I think we get right. so familiar with the story. I mean, we are, we are saying that Jesus Christ is, you know, that he, this Messiah figure from backwater, part of the Roman empire from Nazareth, you know, has a healing and teaching ministry runs afoul of the, Roman authorities gets himself crucified, and yet his disciples say three days later he was raised from the dead, appeared to them, then ascended into heaven, is now the Lord of the universe, and everybody <laughs> everywhere is is every is 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 called to submit and to bow the knee to him. Amen. Yeah. Okay, tell me what part of that message is intuitive, right? Like what part of that message is like, oh yeah, exactly, and yet. Billions of people around the world and throughout history have believed that message and believe that that's the meaning of the world, the universe, the right. significance to human existence. Like, like nothing about that message. You just think, well, of course, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's such a terrific reminder. Like you almost have to see it afresh to see how weird it is, right. strange it is to recognize how amazing it is. And so it's part of what I want to do with a book is, yeah, let me just turn things for you just enough to where you just get this let me turn the diamond to where the light catches it in a different way. So that if you're bored with your faith and I don't, I, the last thing I want is anyone to put down this book and think Christianity is boring, right. let them reject it, let them debate it, let them argue with it, whatever. But I, I want them to see this is an amazing thing. It's a force to be reckoned with. Amen. Oh, it's a thrill. Here, the thrill of orthodoxy. Here it is, folks. Go to IVP. Probably can find it there. Probably find it on Amazon as well. Great book. It is actually, I'll say, IVP did a beautiful job with this book too. They looks, did. Looks really good, didn't they? They did. Uh, so, um, uh, Trevor, what, what else, I know we don't have time to talk about, what, what, else, what are you working on next? I'm sure there's something coming on the pipeline. Yeah, I don't actually, I'm not working on a book right now. I've been working on, and I'm continuing to work on a podcast. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a limited series podcast. So it's oh. documentary style. If, if okay. you liked, um, you know, if you listened to or liked the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Right. Mike Cosper. I've worked with some of the some of the people he's worked with in the past, uh, team wise, and they've just done a great job helping me uh, address some of the credibility crisis that's facing the church today. So okay. we, each episode tackles a different subject, everything from social media to purity culture to questions of authority and abuse in the church, uh, sexual abuse, race, uh, political engagement, uh, the American dream. Like, I mean, it's just uh, every episode is different guests, different you know, stories about how this has worked out in the church and how we can really, it's called reconstructing faith okay. because it's, it's about, it's about, um, okay, where do we go from here? We, we know yeah. a lot of the stories of challenge and, and heartbreak in the church. How do we build for a better future? How do we, um, how do we work in such a way that the witness that we have to, uh, to Jesus Christ in the next generation is stronger? Awesome. Not weaker. So I hope people will check it out. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll be able to find it. It's called Reconstructing Faith, but uh, only 12 now? episodes for a season and we'll see how it goes. Okay, gotcha. And it's and it's out now. Are, are 12 episodes out now? People can go. Uh, eight of the 12 are out now. By the time people are listening to this, there may be nine or 10, but uh, awesome. it will yeah. we'll wrap up the last two in January. So. Oh, that's great. I'm so I'm sorry I didn't know about that. I'm glad I'm looking looking at all. Always looking for a good new podcast to listen to. All right. Well, it's been, Trevin, it's been a real treat to have you on here. I always ask a question. And it's connected to like kind of the theological emphasis of my school and my own tradition. And it's the holiness tradition where we think about there being more to story, more than just experiencing the forgiveness of our sins, but the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit. Um, nevertheless, is there more to the story of Trevin Wax? Like, is there something you don't talk about? You're not going to say on your podcast, but- You know, I mean, I don't know that I would say this on my podcast or not, but when, whenever I get asked a question like that, is there something that people may not know? 
Well, there are actually some people that know about this now because I've used this answer a few times. Okay. <laughs> but my first job when I was 16 years old was uh, at McDonald's and I was the hamburglar on Saturday mornings. Oh my goodness. So yes, I the, I got to go either delight children or freak them out by stealing their hamburgers. And oh man. That's not what generally a strange character that, that was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've had I I've had uh, I've told people that I've worked with that and and occasionally they'll make jokes about the hamburger, but I don't know that it's been like out there publicized far and wide. So now <laughs> thank you, Andy. That is on the public record. You so. got it. It's I'm glad to do my part. So would you actually like it was like for kids' birthday parties, you go out and would you steal their hamburgers not even birthday parties it was generally on saturday mornings to delow to delight or freak out the children i would just <laughs> walk around the mcdonald's and pretend i was going to steal their hamburgers or their biscuits or whatever it was and i mean i will say though that suit is hot okay you could do it for about 15 minutes and then i'd go back into the break room and they basically fed me whatever i wanted to while i would do it so as a 16 year old I was scarfing down everything you know <laughs> but wow I had no idea. Well, where can people find out more information about you? I'm sure they can just Google your name, but is, do you have a website or is there a North American mission board? Yeah. If you go to trevinwax.com, you'll get, you'll come across my column at the gospel coalition. Uh, I, I write oh, right. there a couple of times a week. Usually um, you can find reconstructing faith, of course, on the podcast uh, apps. That's something I'm doing with the North American mission board. Um, but then generally, you know, I like to, to, to visit other places and be in conversation with other people. So there's just you know, there's lots of other other places online where I might show up. So, okay. Well, Trevin, thanks so much for your time today. It's great to talk with you. Look forward to maybe meeting you in person and we're in person now, but you know, where I can shake your hand at some point yeah. sometime soon. But Would thanks love for that your too. time. It's a real blessing. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks.